Also, uh, since we're together, I'd like to thank the 12 gentlemen back there, guys. Thank you for bringing the stones over, setting it up there as a cairn from the middle of the Jordan River. I like what you did with that. Looks like a good pile of stones. However, when you're uh, getting by that way with your kids, let them know why that's there, that God was faithful in bringing us into the promised land. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Oh, uh, thank you as well, and uh, to our spies who have successfully returned from checking out Jericho for us and uh, making it back on time, which leads us here to uh, why I asked you together today. Uh, I've got some bad news. As you can see over there in the distance, uh, quite a ways is the city of Jericho, and it's one well-fortified city. It's got two walls. It's got an outside wall, and it's got an inside wall. That outside wall, as you can see, I don't know if the cairn's hiding it there, but uh, that outside wall, it's got a retainment, six-foot retainment wall that's holding up a big mound of dirt, and on top of that retainment wall is a 12-foot, six-foot-inch thick wall. That's 20 feet of wall about that we're going to need to try to get over. If we do, there's a 35-degree slope of dirt and city that we'll need to climb up to get to the second wall. It's a 14-foot wall, also six feet thick. Probably not going to happen. However, there is some good news. Good news is, just yesterday I was uh, hanging out around Jerica, looking things over, and I spent some time with the commander of the army of the Lord. Hooyah! <laughs> and he gave me some good news. He said that God, Jehovah, has in fact decided to deliver Jericho and all of its inhabitants into our hands. Give me a hooyah. Hooyah. There we go. And I've got some strange news. He also gave me the battle plan for conquering Jericho. So tomorrow morning I will meet you here bright and early. We will set off and we will walk around the city of Jericho. And then we will come back here. Oh, we will do that every day for six days. However, on the seventh day, we will pack up. We will walk around that city seven times. And when I give the, the command, Levites, you're going to blow those trumpets like you've never blown them before. And the rest of us are going to let out a shout to let them know that God is in their midst. And that's the battle plan. However, why don't we uh, try that real quick. Let's give a good shout out like you've never shouted before. Like God is in your midst, like you know he is capable of doing anything that he says, the God who brought us through the Red Sea, through the Jordan River, and is going to conquer the city of Jericho. So here we go on three. Let's give a big shout. One, two, three. Good thing God's on our side. All right. Uh, if there's no other questions, of course, there's always one guy with a question. Go ahead. Actually, that's a pretty good question. Uh, if you didn't hear him, he asked, why don't we just wait them out like every other army does? Common thing to do. Eventually, they're going to need food and water. There are three reasons why we will not be waiting out the city of Jericho. Number one. Within the walls of Jericho, they have their own spring. They will never be coming out for the need of water. And look around you. 
you can see that they've just harvested all of their grain. They're good for a couple years if we wait them out. And thirdly, because God told us to go and to take it. And so with that, make sure we have everything done here. Uh, two other things, two other things. Everything within the walls of Jericho is devoted to God. Do not take anything. We will be killing everybody. Take nothing for yourself. Any gold, silver, or bronze that you find will be taken to the treasury of God. It all belongs to him. With one caveat here, do not touch Rahab or anyone who's in her house. She'll be the window with this garlic cord hanging from it. They will be able to live. Let's see. Oh, yes. One last thing I suppose you've noticed. We're not getting any more manna. Uh, if you have extra manna containers, you no longer need Achmel. Achmel back there has started a manna jar recycling program. You can drop off your jars at his tents. And with that, I'll see you here tomorrow morning. One more hoo-yah! Hoo-yah! Hi, it's just me. <laughs> Not really Joshua. All right, so here's, here's I've got like, um, let me quickly. Thank you. Uh, a whole bunch of like ideas with this crossing of the Jordan and, and the Battle of Jericho. It's actually uh, a rather interesting story. If you have your Bibles, we'll eventually get there. Joshua chapter 3 you might want to go to. I'll grab mine. Uh, it's a pretty cool story in a, in a couple ways. There's, there's a ton, uh, and perhaps it's one of the most well-known, historically accurate in terms of science and archaeological uh, discoveries that we have from one of the events of the Bible. And it's one that people have traditionally said, I, you know, I really doubt that the fall walls fell just because you shouted, although some people try tests. Was it the vibration of the sounds? Uh, was there an earthquake? All these kinds of things. Um, but there's really some, some rather interesting archaeology behind it, which kind of bolsters my faith. Uh, at least it does for me when you've got evidence like that behind it. Um, however, let me, let me show you first. Here's a couple pictures that I found of the crossing of the Jordan. They, none of them are accurate, so we'll also change, correct some misconceptions. Um, this was good because everyone was pointing, in case you didn't know which way to go. When the was split. <laughs> Uh, this one looks, looks pretty nice. All the people crossing over. Not accurate, however. Another one, I, I really, uh, a couple of misinterpretations on this one, although it's a nice picture. <laughs> the, the Lego one. No one, none, none of the army got the memo to look mean and angry. Um, so what's, what's, what's happening here? Well, let's, let's talk first, um, and we'll, we'll correct some of these misconceptions. Um, at the time that they, at they, that they crossed, uh, we're told it was at flood level, and we don't know exactly where they crossed. What we do know is that the Bible says it was across from Jericho, which makes sense because that was going to be their first plan of attack. Uh, they weren't stupid, so there's some deep parts, especially during the flood stage, 10, 20 feet deep. They probably didn't cross there. Uh, but there were fords, you know, shallower, narrower areas. And so they 
probably picked one of these areas to, to cross over. Uh, however, during flood stage, everything sort of doubles. And so typically your, your uh, lowest height of the Jordan, from what I've read, is about one and a half to two feet at some points. At some points, it's 10. That's not in flood stage. So if, if it was, and what we know is flood stage, if it doubled, probably at a minimum three feet, probably more likely based on the Jordan River, four, possibly five feet deep. Uh, somewhere between 120 feet wide to I've seen up to 360 feet wide. We don't know for sure because we don't know exactly where they crossed. We don't know how much water was rushing through at the time. Uh, and, and they say flood stage, it moves typically about 10 miles per hour. All right, and so that's, that's what they're facing here. Uh, you could get across it. The spies got across it. So you, it wasn't impossible feet, but it is when you've got about 600,000 people, which is what they think the uh, Israelites might have been at this time, to get across there with sheep and cows and mules and kids and carts and all that kind of stuff. You don't easily cross three, four, five feet deep of water. And, and so God does this great thing. Uh, Look at it with me in Joshua chapter 3. <coughs> uh, starting in verse 1. It says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out for Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. Here's the orders. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But to keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark, do not go near it. And so that's one inaccuracy of just about every picture that I've seen. A thousand yards is a little, about a half mile, a little bit over a half mile. That's a, that's a significant difference. He says, stay away from it. All right, so keep a distance about a thousand, thousand feet, about a half mile from uh, the ark of the covenant. Skip down with me to verse 8. The Lord's speaking to Joshua, and he says, Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now go with me to verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan <coughs> is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Now here's, here's where he also uh, is inaccurate in most of those pictures. Scripture is very clear... Here's, here's the command. Picture flood stage. And I, and I think actually if you see the Delaware, that's a probably very close to what the Jordan River looks like to where they were crossing over. So if you have that kind of picture in your mind, you're, you're pretty accurate. And so he says, you at, you're going to pick up the Ark of the Covenant, go and stand in the river. And all the other people know that's the, that's the sign we're going to get ready to cross over. We're packing up. We're ready to go. We're going to follow it uh, across the Jordan River. And it says, as soon as their feet touched the Jordan, the Jordan didn't do what the Red Sea did. It didn't split. There weren't two walls of water on either side, which is what happened with the Red Sea. It very clearly says God blocked the waters quite a distance away at this town called Adam. 
And, and uh, interestingly enough, that had happened on other occasions throughout history. We have historical records that, for whatever reason, right in that vicinity, there are mudslides. Every, I mean, not very often, but every two, three, four hundred years, there's a huge mudslide. Two of significance. One time, the, the mud slid in and stopped the entire Jordan River for 10 hours. On another case, it was 21 hours. It stopped. And as the water begins to build up, and then it starts going, and then starts flowing again. Is that what happened here? I think, yeah, that's probably pretty likely. That makes a lot of sense. Does that mean, oh, it's not a miracle? You're going to not like this one. I, I kind of lean toward that wasn't a miracle. You know what that was? I've heard some of you say this. That was a God thing. We're Tim Smith country, a God thing. That's, that's what this, it was God orchestrating what anyone else might say, well, that was just coincidence. Yeah, I guess if you believe that they were all camped at the Jordan River and as soon as the priest touched the water, the mud slid in, and then 600,000 people crossed, and actually what we read, if we were to read it, is everyone gets across, and then Joshua sends 12 men back into the Jordan. He says, I want you to get a rock, bring it up here because we want to make a cairn. And so 12 guys go down, they find a big rock, and then he tells the priest, all right, we're, we're safe, come on out. And the Bible says the priest moved out with the ark, and as soon as they hit dry land, the Jordan flowed again. Now, here's something else you don't see in the pictures, which is kind of interesting. The, the city of Adam is about 15 to 20 miles away. So here's the picture that I get. It means the priests were given the, the signal, they pick up the Ark of the Covenant, and they go and they stand in the river, probably not in the middle because it was deep and flowing really fast. And so they're standing at the edge, maybe it's up to their waist, maybe their knees. And if you do the math, they stood there for the next two hours. Because it's not like it just stopped. 20 miles away, it stopped. And then they stood there in the water. And everyone, can you picture everyone kind of like huddling around and just waiting and thinking? Okay, now what? And, and that was the call. Go and stand in the river because I'm going to cut off the rivers. And then you'll be able to cross over. And so they stand there waiting for two hours. Hope you didn't have cans today. That's a long time to just wait. When God told us, I'm going to do this great thing, you're going to cross over, but I'll have you wait an hour and a half, two hours. Uh, and then if you can imagine the excitement, though, I know you, if you see the river along the Delaware or the Cal or something, it's at flood stage, and you kind of see, you know, where, where the water line is, because all the reeds and grass has been, like, laid flat. And I can picture someone kind of pointing out saying, hey, I think the river's getting lower. And you could see it. And sure enough, over the next 15 minutes, it's getting lower. And maybe they moved a little bit farther out. And before long, you realize it's just dry. The whole thing cleared out. And the shout, that probably went out in the excitement to say, hey, he did it. We waited. We didn't know he was going to do it. But he did it. And so they, they cross over. And that's, that's the picture of the crossing of the Jordan River. Now, these are also some inaccurate. Uh, that's a, just a map. They cross directly across from Jericho, Adam about 15, 20 miles away. <coughs> uh, they think traditionally that's where they crossed. They think it's possible that's also where John the Baptist was baptized and Jesus was baptized. 
Um, from what I read, they recommend not getting baptized there because most of the clean water gets siphoned off for irrigation, and most of that is not stuff you want to swim in. All right, so here's some images of the Battle of Jericho. So they cross over, they camp at Gilgal, uh, they celebrate the Passover, uh, the guys are circumcised, and then they're given the command to take this really well-fortified city. Not completely accurate. Also not completely accurate, although impressive looking. <laughs> Stink them out. Just lay, put your hands up. And so you want, and you want to see the Lego one, I bet. <laughs> oh no, we're falling over. Um, all right, so here's 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 actually a picture of what of what they know. They know Jericho was like at the time. They've they've done the excavations, they've done the archaeology, and uh, here's here's what they were forced faced with: about a six to ten foot wall. A retainment wall. You can't push it over because it's got dirt behind it. You need to get up over a 10-foot wall only to be met with another 10-foot wall. Uh, really, really well fortified. And then there was a slope, uh, possibly some homes in there, and they'd have to get up that. And if you know, you know, military kind of stuff, the worst place to be is down. The best place to be is up. Uh, you're at a tremendous disadvantage. And so it's just a really well-built, thought-through city. And then you've got another wall, 12 to 14-foot wall, 6 feet thick. This is what they were faced with. Uh, here's what archaeology has shown. Number one, the walls came straight down. No one, no one, and I, I've looked around, no one out there is saying anything differently. At the time, 1400 B.C., around the time of Joshua, there was a battle there at Jericho, and the walls fell flat. They weren't pushed in. They weren't pushed out. They went straight down. Uh, some have tried to argue maybe there was a great earthquake. Um, but nonetheless, that's what happened. They were straight down. What that allowed <coughs> is this kind of scenario. And so now you've got this 6-foot, 10-foot retainment wall that you can't even really get over that gets filled in by the walls crumbling down so that they now have a ramp to get up over the retainment wall and into the city of Jericho. That's exactly what they find for archaeology. Can you see it kind of down there? Does that make sense? So they, they, they find this is what happened at Jericho. The walls fell straight down. It allowed them perfect entrance and up over this retainment wall to get into the city. And then they find a city that was utterly destroyed, which, which is a mystery in the world of archaeology and history. Not for us, because we've got the biblical account. But it, but it is the most well-fortified, best city you could take over. And if you're going to take over the best city of the land, guess what you don't do to it? Utterly destroy it. This, this was it. If you were going to conquer the land, the best strategy would be to take over Jericho, if you could. Typically, it probably would have taken you three to four years. They find that in archaeology as well. It's been defeated over and over again. Jericho's been defeated because it's the number one strategy to taking over the land. And then you took it. You used it. It became your number one fortress and your number one defense and your number one weapon. But that's not what happened in 1400 B.C. when Joshua took it. The entire place was destroyed, burned, everything in, crum in crumbles uh, and rubble. And then they find this. They find jars of food. 
some sealed, some with the grain inside that had been burnt. And you've got the same mystery. Who in the world comes into a city and either leaves the food or burns it? It's, it's in the middle of war. It's almost your number one commodity. Imagine traveling with 40,000 men from a distance. You need food. It was one of the, the greatest uh, obstacles, actually, to warfare was to keep your army fed. And so you don't go and take over a city and burn the food or leave the food. Why did they do that? Because that's what they were told to do. Take nothing. Everything in there is devoted to the Lord. Believe it. And that's exactly what they find in the city of Jericho. Jars of food that were either just burnt or just left. Nobody touching it. Uh, one site had said, and I only confirmed it on one, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, I didn't find any great archaeology on it, to be honest, but I'll mention it. Um, there, there was one section of the wall that didn't fall. You might know why there was one section of the wall that might not have fallen, if you know the story. I didn't mention it earlier. Rahab, you got it. Rahab was, her house, according to scripture, was on the wall, was part of the wall. That's how the spies got out through a window over the wall. And they said there was the northern face of the wall with houses built into it. And it was the only section that didn't crumble. How cool is that? All the walls came down except Rahab's little section right there. Uh, stayed perfectly intact. Let's look at some other interesting things with the Battle of Jericho. Go to chapter 7 with me. Verse 1 says, this is, this is right after they've taken the city of Jericho. Uh, and then the next time they go to war, the next city, they, they don't win. And it says, the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So he had said, everything is devoted to me, take nothing. And, and this is kind of scary to me. But think about this. This one man, Achan, later on he says, he confesses to it after he's been pointed out by God. Yeah, it was, it was me. I saw this beautiful Babylonian robe and this silver and this gold, and I took it and I have it hidden in the ground underneath my tent. This one man, one man out of an army of, we believe, about 40,000 took some of the stuff. But look what God says to them. The Israelites acted unfaithfully. Flip over, if you will, you'll see it again, verse 10. Joshua is... is uh, beside himself at this whole thing. The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. You, we... we well, look around you. Like the scary, the scary part of that is this one man out of 40,000 took something. And God looked at the entire nation and said, you as a nation have sinned. And you think, does God see crossing like that? Like does my behavior and my walk with the Lord... Could I mess up? Could I do, ha, have a really weak walk with, with my God? And he says, 
hey, crossing, here's why I'm not blessing you. Michael Brief is the problem. Me? Just me? It can't just be me. But that's how he's looking at it. I mean, it's, it, it's an amazing way of saying, is there a reason for me to hold you accountable besides just your walk with God? Oh, yeah. Your walk affects my walk, affects this body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And God doesn't just look at the individual. He looks at you and says, you are a part of my entire body. What you do matters. Matters a lot. It's kind of, kind of frightening. Uh, here's, here's what I'll end, I think. I say that Friday nights at youth group, and then I go on for the next two hours. Um, <clears throat> I, find, I find a spiritual principle in Scripture which is, which is this. Very often when God is doing something new, uh, happens with Abraham when he's called into the land. As soon as they get out of Egypt, as soon as they come into the promised land, as soon as they're back from captivity, as soon as the church begins, I see this principle that God likes to do two things. He likes to call you, and I'm, I'm, I'm highlighting this because some of you are starting new things. You're graduating. Uh, some newlyweds is starting a new thing, starting a new job. And, and so I would actually say to those people who are starting new things, get ready, because I would bet God's going to do two things with you. One is he's going to do something that's going to require you to step out in a mighty step of faith, to prove himself and say, I want you to remember as you move forward from this point on that I'm able, that I'm here, I'm present I will do what I say I'm going to do, but you need to step out in faith. I wouldn't be very surprised at all if that's something that you experience. Second thing, interestingly enough, that I see is somebody reminds us, it could be yourself, it could be somebody else, but we're reminded of our tremendous sin nature. Somebody screws up. Here it was Achan. Abraham, Ananias, and Sapphira. It's just these like two reminders that God says, I want you to remember as you move forward, you're not God, you're just man, and you're weak. And don't forget your sin nature. But secondly, I also want you to step out in faith, and you'll find that I am faithful, I am capable, I am powerful, and I want you to keep those two things in mind as you move forward. And so we find what's on your bulletin, it's also Joshua chapter 4, verse 24. He says, here's the reason why I brought you over the Red Sea and over the Jordan River the way I did. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And second, so that you might always fear the Lord your God. I want you to know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, that you might always fear the Lord your God. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. It's an interesting answer, isn't it? Hey, you got the picture? Comes up, sword drawn. Whose side are you on? 
you on our side or on our enemy's side? And the commander of the Lord Army goes, neither. I can almost picture him like rolling his eyes. That's such a mortal question. <laughs> um, what, what, what's with that answer? I, I really think <coughs> it goes back, if you were here last time that I had an opportunity to speak, and we talked about how God is all about his glory. No matter what you choose to do, to be on his side or not, he's going to be glorified. That's just it. You, you want to not believe in him? He'll be glorified through that. You want to believe in him and put faith in him? He'll be glorified through that. You want to curse and denounce him? He'll be glorified in that. He will be glorified. You will stand before him one day, everyone, and recognize him and say, you are sovereign, you are king, you are everything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You, he's going to be glorified. And that's kind of this. This, this sort of, hey, whose side are you on? And to God, he's saying, no, you got it backwards. I'm not, I'm not on your side. You can be on my side or not be on my side. Either way, I'm going to be glorified. That's kind of his answer. Hey, whose side are you on? Neither. I'm here to glorify God and do his bidding. It just so happens he's decided to give Jericho into your hands. And so if you follow him, you can share and be part of that glory and be on his side. But I'm just telling you, I'm all about God's glory. I picture the same thing. Maybe the commander of the, the Lord going back to the army in heaven and saying, I don't believe the question Joshua asked me. <laughs> he asked me whose side I was on. All right, thoughts from the uh, book of Joshua there. Let me pray. Uh, worship team, if you want to come up, and then we'll close with a couple songs. Heavenly Father, you are good and glorious, and um, I thank you for the way that you showed yourself faithful powerful, able, uh, all-knowing, everything who you are, Lord God, uh, you did for your name's sake, for your glory. Thank you for the way that you brought Israel across the Jordan, uh, the way you gave Jericho into their hands. Thank you that we have, honestly, we don't need the archaeology. We know that you're capable, but it's there. And, And I like that you've provided that for us as well that we might have even more sure or we might even answer critics or doubters or people say there's, there's no way those things could have happened. We did. We know they did. Even regardless of whether we think they did, they did. We've got the proof. We have the evidence. You are able. You are mighty. And Lord, we just we praise you. We worship you. Help us to uh, be patient when you call us to stand in the Jordan River, so to speak. Help us to do what you ask us to do when it seems like it doesn't make any sense and I'm not sure how walking around the city is going to do anything. Those moments in our lives. Lord, help us, those who start something new, something big, and when you call us to step out in faith, that we will follow and do what you've asked us to do. Lord, you are powerful and uh, we just hold you in awe. And so I'll praise and glory to you. Through Jesus, your son. Amen.